This is Adam Hill, the minister of the Word at Rochester Church of Christ. I always tell our church family, read your Bible. You'll be a better Christian. My prayer is that this Bible-based sermon will help you follow Christ more faithfully. Let's learn together as we study the Word today. God is the God of the comeback, amen? Amen. All of us have this in common. We're either in a storm right now, there's something going on in our life that has us stressed, has us concerned, has us overwhelmed, we feel like maybe we're not winning. All of us might be in a storm right now, or we've just come out of a storm, thank God, or we're headed into a storm. Now, that's not defeatist. I know in the name of Jesus, don't happen. It's life on this broken planet. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Didn't say you might. So you're either in a storm, you're coming out of a storm and praising God, or you're about to go into a storm. And the gospel in this teaching series, the gospel in today's message, when we talk about the comeback and how God is the God of the comeback is that it's not too late and you're never too far for God to create a comeback in your life. And today I want to begin with a reading from Luke chapter 23. Now, Here's the deal. I'm going to start reading from Luke chapter 23, and you're going to say, oh yeah, the crucifixion. I know that story, and I'm so glad you know it. But what I'm going to ask you to try this morning is to revisit this story again for the first time, to hear it fresh. Luke chapter 23, it is our tradition to stand for the reading of the word of God. So let me invite you, if you're willing and you're able, to stand as we read God's word together. From Luke chapter 23, I'm going to begin in verse 32. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull... They crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him, and they said, He saved, and you're never too far for God to give you a comeback. Now say one thing for the Roman Empire. That was for you, Brian. Say one thing for the Roman Empire. They knew how to execute people. Yeah. They are really good at it, though. And one of the most painful and shameful ways is crucifixion. Now the cross was reserved for the worst of criminals. 
Those who committed heinous crimes. Perhaps one of the nicest things that's ever happened to these two guys that are crucified on either side of Jesus is that the, the, the King James working from the Latin decided to translate into English that they were thieves. That's probably the nicest thing that ever happened to them. Okay, these would be heinous criminals. And it's reserved for those people who commit treason. Which is why Jesus is there. Because he's an enemy of the state. Because if, you know this, if Jesus is Lord, then Caesar isn't. You got it? So here he, here he is, enemy of the state, surrounded by these two criminals... And they're being crucified. Now, crucifixion was exceptionally painful. And I don't, I don't want to get too graphic. But at the same time, I don't want to just gloss over what's happening here. Because it's important to the story that, that, that what's happening here is that crucifixion is usually a death by asphyxiation. You, you lose the ability to breathe. And eventually you stop breathing. Now, now the, way, the way that would work is that they would drive nails into usually uh, your arms. Not necessarily your palm because that would come through if you tried to put your weight on all of that. But right here through your wrist, they would drive those there so that you would be hung up and unable to breathe unless you did a pull up. Okay, the only way to pull up is to pull up with your bones grinding on those nails. Very painful. But you're getting that breath. And then you slouch back down. Okay, now, now they, what they would do is they would also nail your feet to the wood. So you had a little help. You had the opportunity to help yourself. However, you had to push off of the nails driven through your bones in order to breathe. That's why after a while they would come and they would break the bones, they would break the legs of those who were crucified so they could no longer push themselves up and get that breath. Having already been scourged and whipped to where his back is laid open and the rough wood of the cross every time you pull up and you go back down. Torturous. Every rising for breath would be torturous. All of this while you're stripped and beaten and broken with a crowd there to insult you. You want me to move to this one? All right, we'll try it like this. Wow, did y'all even hear the first, like, quarter? Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. Good to see y'all. It's good to be here. So it's our tradition to stand. No, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. <clears throat> just start it over. Run it back. No, but no. But okay, so all of this while you're beaten and you're stripped and the crowd is jeering at you and insulting you because they know you're a bad person. If you look through the text, look at Luke 23, 35. It starts and it says, the people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. The rulers say, you can save others, let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. Okay, so he's being insulted by the rulers. How about verses 36 and 37? The soldiers mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar, saying, 
If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. The rulers are mocking him. The soldiers are mocking him. And then we get to, look, I mean, look at this. Verse 39 blows my mind. The more time I spend in this text, verse 39 blows my mind. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. He used one of the most painful breaths of his life to curse someone he didn't know. Now, y'all know hurt people hurt people, right? I can't imagine being this hurt. That, that he is willing to go through that agony just to curse Jesus. Then we get to verses 40 to 42. The other criminal also endures the agony of one more breath to correct the guy over from him and profess truth about Jesus. He says, don't you fear God? You're under the same sentence. But you and I are punished justly. We're getting what we deserve. This man's done nothing wrong. And then he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. How did he know? How did he know about Jesus? How did he know about Jesus' kingdom to come? What, I mean, was, was he interested in Jesus while also living a life of crime? That can happen. Maybe, maybe he had heard Jesus preach. Maybe he had come through his town. Maybe his family members had heard him. Or maybe he had a family member healed by Jesus. We're not really told. Maybe it was immediate revelation from God. We're not told how he knows. But he knows. And he says to Jesus, he utters one breath worth of hope. Jesus, remember me. Jesus, when this is not the end for you, can you help it please not be the end for me? Remember me when you come in your kingdom. When this is not the end for you, Jesus, help it not be the end for me. That's not a very lengthy theological treatise. Or it is not a grand theory of Christology. But I'll tell you what it is. It's a desperate cry for Jesus. And in every comeback story, there must be a desperate cry. There must be a desperate cry. Lord Jesus, remember me. Louis Giglio is a famous pastor and communicator of the gospel, uh, best known for birthing the Passion Church movement um, and the Passion movement itself that is, was designed to reach a generation of college students for Jesus. He's also well known as an author. He's written many books, including the book that kind of inspires this series, The Comeback. Um, and, and to his thoughts, uh, I'm very much indebted uh, he's, he's well known 
But what some people don't know about Louis Giglio is that he, as he was starting Passion City Church and the Passion Movement, um, he was experiencing a really dark time in his life with regard to anxiety, and he started having panic attacks. And one night, Louis said he sat up straight in bed at 2 a.m., and he could hardly breathe. And he said, my left arm was hurting, and, and, and it was up into my face. And he said, I, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm an old enough guy to know that these are serious symptoms, but I'm also a guy. So what I did was I got up and I washed my face with cold water because that's what they do in the movies. And it didn't work. It didn't fix it. And so I knew something was wrong, and I thought maybe I should just take a shower. Okay. And so he tried that, didn't work. So eventually he goes to the hospital. He gets to the hospital, they do tests. They say, it's not your heart. You're not going to die, but you probably have indigestion. And so he goes back home. And thus started a nightly event every night, 2 a.m. He would wake up with his body in complete chaos. At times, his legs were flailing. His skin was itching. His muscles were cramping. His heart was racing. He had so many terrifying symptoms, so many trips to the doctor, so many tests, and they all came back as non-physiological, meaning it wasn't a physical illness. This was anxiety manifesting itself in panic attacks. And he said, I was in just this dark hole, and I couldn't get out of it. Every night, and no matter how good the day had gone, I knew that 2 a.m. was waiting for me. And one night, after waking up at 2 a.m., with his heart racing, Louis was at his wit's end. And he reached his arms up to God and he prayed again. Now, now he, he says, I need you to hear me. I had prayed plenty. Churches had prayed for me. Armies of believers had prayed for me. But he prayed again, and now he cried out to God again. He said, God, I can't do this anymore. I'm desperate. Please help. He had said all of this before. And he continued with this. And this man, buckle up. He said, God, you didn't heal me yesterday. That's fact. And here I am at 2 a.m., which means you didn't heal me today. And God, I'm not real confident that you'll heal me tomorrow. But this I know, you are a healer. And so I am crying out to you because that's the only option I have. And, and this time, Louis says he got a word from the Lord. For some reason, his mind called, the Lord put in his mind, Psalm chapter 42, verse 8, by day the Lord directs me by his love, and in the night he gives me a song. And he said, God, whatever song you give me, I'll sing. Whatever song you give me, I'm going to sing. At night you give me a song. He gives us songs in the night to go into battle. And so there at 2 a.m. in his bed, he sang the words, Be still, my soul, there is a healer, and his love is deeper than the sea. His mercy is unfailing, and his arms are a fortress for the weak. Now, that's not any one particular psalm, but it's like all of them. 
But he just, that became the words that God had put on his heart. And so he began to sing that song. When Louis tells the story, it's really funny. He says, I would love, he says, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I've been here before, preacher. I know how these stories end. That night you were healed. And you went on to get up the next morning to go out and share the testimony with everyone. You went and spoke across the world. You baptized millions that first day. And then you got in the taxi to go back to the airport, and that's when you wrote the comeback entirely. You got out of the taxi, ran faster than the taxi to the airport. (laughs) He said the next night, 2 a.m. came. And the anxiety was back. And the panic attack happened. It wasn't miraculous deliverance in an instant. He said, but it was different. And what made it different was this time I had a song. Just a little light in the darkness. I knew he had given me a song. And Louis Giglio says, worship is right and appropriate when we're in the light and things are going wonderfully and we are praising God for our blessings. But you need to understand, worship is a wrecking ball in the night that busts open the doors of hell. He said, I had a song, and I would sing the song, and every night at 2 a.m. I would sing the song, and here's the deal, with, with the help of doctors and medication and exercise and a change in diet and a change in lifestyle and, 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 and all of the things that go with it, as well as that song, he says that was the crucial element, that song got him to where it wasn't that it all of a sudden just went away, but what happened was soon there was more song than there was darkness. Still waking up at 2 a.m., but now he's got the song, and the song is more present than the darkness is, and pretty soon it was all song and no darkness. He says it all started with a cry for deliverance. In every comeback story, there's a desperate cry. Second thing, in every comeback story, there is a divine proclamation. There is what God says. In, in verse 43, Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. And those eight words changed everything for that criminal. Because they were the words spoken by God over his life. You see, I think God wants to write new chapters in our lives, but we keep wanting to reread and replay the old ones. We have to come to believe that God is the one who gets the last word in our lives. Amen? God gets the last word. This guy had guilty written all over his life. This criminal. Now, some of us have false words, false words written on our lives by a parent, by an ex by a former friend or a jealous enemy or a, a mean coworker, sometimes even by ourselves. But 
But none of those folks, and here's the deal, not even myself, I don't get the last word about me. My creator does. Now the word guilty was true for this guy. And yet Jesus still speaks for him. Okay, now <clears throat> let's get deeper. All right, pastor, let's teach. Sin doesn't make you a bad person. Patty, you with me so far? You're working on it. I appreciate you. Sin doesn't make you a bad person. Sin makes you a dead person. Romans 6.23 doesn't say the wages of sin is badness. It says the wages of sin is death. Sin, sin doesn't make me a bad person. It makes me a person. I, I'm a person, okay? And I have sinned because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sin doesn't make me a bad person. Sin makes me a dead person. And dead people, I don't know if you know this, Elijah, dead people don't do very much. Right? See that? Sin, sin is more dangerous than we give it credit for. It attracts flies. It attracts flies. <laughs> what? No, I'm just like, yeah, you're right. You're, you're right. Sin, sin doesn't just make me bad. It makes me dead. Dead people don't do anything for, my, for, my, for themselves. And your comeback starts when you realize that God has spoken over your life and has decreed a comeback because God gets the last word. You see, Jesus didn't leave the throne of heaven to help bad people. Jesus came to help sick, dying, and dead people conquer sin and death. Jesus didn't say, you're not bad, you're not a rebel, you're not guilty. What Jesus has said is, your story is not done yet. Jesus' last word for this criminal was not guilty. It was grace. Today you'll live with me in paradise. In every comeback story, there is a divine proclamation. So the place where Jesus is crucified, Golgotha, it's a hill outside of the city because trust me, you didn't want that going on in the city. Because crucifixion was messy business. And, 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 and actually, most experts agree that what Golgotha was, was a garbage dump. It was kind of a place where you would, there would be all kinds of garbage and, and there was a hill. Now I know in the pictures, it's like this beautiful pastoral, like, I don't know, it's a pasture. And there's this nice hill and it looks great at golden hour. Like as dusk falls, those three crosses just look beautifully silhouetted on that empty hill, grass all around. That is not what this looked like. It looked like a garbage dump full of corpses, full of blood and guts and entrails, full of, full of awful. The stink would make you sick. And here is Jesus telling him, today you'll be with me in paradise. 
in the middle of one of the worst places on earth. Here is God's presence in a horrible, horrible place. This is paradise in a garbage dump. The last thing I'll, I'll say, and then the sermon will be yours, is that in every comeback story, there is a personal connection to Jesus. In every story that God writes, in every comeback story that God writes, there is a connection to Jesus. This, the, these guys, <clears throat> these two other men, had nothing except proximity. But somehow when they died, they died within about 12 feet of Jesus. That's what they had going for them. You see, God isn't giving us a plan for our comeback. Well, what do you mean, Adam? This series is called The Comeback. I'm assuming you're going to teach us how we can come back. No, no, no. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm teaching you not that. God isn't giving you a plan for your comeback. Jesus himself is the comeback. And our only hope is to connect with Jesus to be saved and delivered. Jesus doesn't say, today I'm going to get you a blueprint for how to get your life back together. He says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Kenny, you can go ahead and bring your team up. And it's telling because when we hear that, when we've heard those words traditionally, today you'll be with me in paradise, what's amazing is our ears have perked up at the word paradise. It inspires some of our favorite songs. And, 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 and I look forward to the glory that God has for me eternally. I do, I do. But I can tell you, paradise is not the point of what Jesus said. It comes right before it. It's easy to read past it. Today, you'll be with me. With me. Do you understand? Jesus could have said, today, you'll be with me in Flint. And the comeback wouldn't be any less powerful. Today you'll be with me in Walmart. Today you'll be with me, shoot, where you work. And the comeback wouldn't be any less powerful. It's not that we get to be in paradise, it's that we get to be with Jesus in paradise. You see, what makes the comeback powerful, what makes the comeback possible, is that we're with the life giver, the life changer, the death killer, the hell beater. That in spite of all the mess I'm in, I'm with Jesus. And my story's not done yet. And so today what I need you to know is that you are loved. And that you are chosen. How many of you saw that one coming?
But I also need you to realize that what you need more than anything else is Jesus. Are you ready to cry out in desperation to the only one who can save you? Are you ready to be with him, to join him in a death like his so that you can be raised to new life certainly in him? This is Romans 6. Are you ready to be joined to him in baptism, participating in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? That comeback story. Are you ready to hear a new proclamation from God over your life? Are you going to listen as God declares a new future over you, a new purpose for you, a new path for you, a new hope for you, a new life for you? To say, yes, Jesus, I need you. Don't miss this opportunity to come and claim his grace for your life. Let this be a part of this comeback story that God is telling in your life. Come and say, I want to give my life to Christ in baptism. We're going to stand, church, if you'll stand. We're going to sing together. And if you need to respond, if you want to, if you want to say, I, I want this comeback right now. If you've been in that dark place and you know that God is putting a song in your heart and you want to keep singing it, you want to identify with him completely, don't miss this chance. We're going to sing together. And if you need Jesus, then come and talk to me up front. To learn more about Rochester Church of Christ, check out www.rochestercoc.org. There you can find links to other teachings, opportunities to join our family and serve, as well as ways to support our work. It truly is a wonderful time to be the church. I pray that you're blessed. Remember, you are loved and you are chosen.